With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. Everybody, welcome to Heads Up Hockey. We have New York Post Molly Walker, UMass Amherst grad, and of course she looks after the Islanders and the Rangers. So welcome aboard, Molly. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So Jim hasn't jumped on just yet, but um, I actually was on the Zoom call um, listening to the Lindy Ruff Fitzgerald uh, conference call. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw you at the end. That was a good follow-up that you had. So <laughs> Thank you. Got to keep it Ranger-centric for the New York Post. <laughs> <laughs> well, can't, before Jim gets on, um, can you tell me uh, what you learned about Lindy Ruff in the first couple seasons with the Rangers? Um, I think he has a very good command of his experience you know he's really been around the block with the sabers and and with the stars and he's been around generational talent as well so what I found very interesting in the uh, conference call he had today is he talked a lot about how he spent his time with the Rangers trying to do the things that he wasn't able to do as a head coach such as getting to know his players and spending more time on the ice with them whereas head coaches sometimes have other things they need to tend to so I found that very interesting that he wanted to take the time to step away from being a head coach and getting to know players better. So I think that'll definitely help him in the long run with being the head coach of the Devils for sure. And Jim Berger is officially on the line and uh, welcome on in Jim, the co-host of the show. <laughs> hey Molly, how are you? Thanks for. Hey. Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, I reached out after I heard you on Sports Talk Canada with Ryan Payton. That was a great um, interview. You, you guys talk about hockey and everything. And obviously, obviously, with the big news of the day, uh, Devils announcing, officially announcing Lindy Ruff as the head coach mm-hmm. and keeping Tom Fitzgerald on as their general manager. What do you think about Fitzgerald staying as the new GM? Uh, I mean, uh, I don't cover the Devils as much as I do the Rangers and Islanders, but obviously after serving in the interim position, you know, there was a reason that they must have kept him on. And I think he probably really got along with Lindy Ruff, too. I saw kind of some chemistry with them on screen during the conference call today and that they were very much so on the same page. So you always want that with a coach and a general manager. So if I were to guess, I think that played a big part in it. And I think they're going to be a good duo over there in Jersey. And so um, I'm reading your uh, article today and it says uh, what Lindy basically said, I am excited to get back in the lead chair and guide the future of this team. Uh, This is a fantastic opportunity to lead a group of young talent and strong leadership to the next level. So can you re-paraphrase exactly what you uh, wrote there and re-paraphrase it for our listeners? 
Um, I think I think Lindy has a really good understanding of the team that he's coming into right now. I mean, if you look at it, someone like Jack Hughes and his rookie season, you know, he watched his coach fired, his GM fired, his captain Andy Green traded to the Islanders, one of the team's best players traded in Taylor Hall to the uh, Coyotes. So I, I think that there was a lot of disruption going on in the Devils system um, over the last year, and and having Lindy come in and and Fitzgerald staying, I feel like. It'll be really good for the team to have sort of a calmer environment and for those younger players like Nico to just start working on themselves and working on the team now going forward without all the uncertainty in the air. So I think Lindy's very excited about that opportunity. And staying with Lindy Ruff, you know, he's been he was the assistant coach to the Rangers, a team that you cover for the post. Um, How is his loss going to affect that team going into uh, the playing round? Uh, that, which starts August uh, first. Um, I no, I'm not sure if it'll if it'll impact them in any, in any way. I think you know not having a a coach that you were with the whole season will be a little disruptive. But I know that uh, our very own Larry Brooks reported today that the Hartford Wolfpack's uh, Wolfpack assistant coach uh, Gord Murphy will be accompanying the team in Toronto for the NHL's return to play tournament. So he will temporary, temporarily f- fill the assistant position with rough, be- with a rough being gone. So I don't think it'll be uh, that big of a distraction since they're filling the role and, and with a familiar face as well. So I don't think it'll impact them too much, but definitely something they're going to have to move on from and find a new coach. Yeah, I know. Cause I, I mentioned that to you yesterday, uh, DM me on Twitter. This is something we see in uh, college football a lot with like assistants getting picked up and uh, poached right before like these big games. So it was just interesting to see um, uh, just to have this come down right before the playoffs. That was the first thing that just came into my head. But that's because I'm a big, uh, big sports guy (laughs) staying, uh, staying with the playing around for a minute, you know, with the break, you know, with this COVID break, one, the other teams that you cover, which team has the will benefit the the most from having this long layoff? Will it be the Rangers or the Islanders? I think the Islanders most certainly because they had a they're coming into this play in round with a more equipped team than they had at the end before the season was paused. You know, they were missing Adam Pellick. Johnny Boychuk just took a skate to the face, wasn't playing. And now, especially with Adam Pellick, you know, I think that was a huge person that they were missing this entire season it kind of ripped the rug out from underneath them the idea that they were losing him for the season and their defense just wasn't the same so bringing someone like Adam Pellick back on is going to be monumental for the team and and the Islanders in general were just on a downward spiral heading into the break so the fact that they were able to step away and regroup and and get a lot of players that are going to be healthy this time around I think it's going to be very rejuvenating for them and give a lot of motivation to the team so I think they definitely will benefit the most um the rangers i think are i think they'll be fine i don't think it disrupted them in any in any way they were you know starting to really find their footing and such so uh, the only thing that i can think of is something that's going to affect every player in the nhl is these players haven't been off the ice for more than three months in their entire lives i would imagine you know even in the off season (laughs) these players still had access to rinks and such so just the fact that they have not been skating competitively for three months is probably the longest that any of these players have ever gone in their entire careers so i think that will be one of the biggest things that every player in the nhl will have to get get over 
And so it it sounds like with this, you know, this pause, getting ready to almost become a restart button on the 13th when I believe they get back to playing if they approve the CBA, mm-hmm. et cetera, uh, and the, they get back to the playing round. Um, with guys like Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, Everly, Ladd, Clutterbuck, Pajot, do you think that it helps those veterans in – the New York Islanders uh, forward group to help, you know, regather and play to that Barry Trotz style of hockey that he started adding after he had left uh, the Capitals? 100%. Uh, One thing I've said is that toward the end there, when the Islanders were kind of on a downward spiral, their biggest competition was themselves. They were, they were playing against themselves. It was, it was their mistakes. It was, it was just their own play and their own decisions that were kind of getting in their way and they were kind of getting in their heads a little bit. And I talked to Anders about that a little bit. He felt that the team was just too wrapped up in their head. So I think stepping away and, and having the opportunity to come back with a rejuvenated team is a hundred percent going to play into these veterans favors. And I know that Anders and, and all the players that you mentioned are, are leaders and the way JG Peugeot came in and, and he just fit in like a puzzle. So I, I think that it's, it's really going to, play in their favor 100%. And do you think uh, Semyon Varlamov and Tomas Grice uh, being the goaltenders for uh, the Islanders, do you think they can stave off the play in round given their experience uh, that Varlamov had been in uh, D.C. and in, um, in Colorado and Grice being the stable genius he is in uh, the Islanders? Definitely, 100%. I think both goalies are very experienced and, you know, they're veteran netminders. So I think they're going to be ready for anything that's thrown at them. It's a very interesting uh, situation that's going on with the Islanders goaltending situation. Obviously, all fans are waiting for Sorokin to come up and it's looking like with this new CBA agreement that that won't be possible for this upcoming play-in series. So a lot of people are very disappointed about that, but I think it'll be very interesting to see how Barry Trotz chooses to deploy his his goalies because he never ever reveals any rhyme or reason as to why he chooses either of them no matter how many times we try to pull it out of him um he really is just he goes with his gut i guess and he never tells anybody until we see them skating out first onto the ice so it'll be very interesting to see who he goes with because honestly i think he could go either way it's very lamorello-esque uh, <laughs> which we as devil's fans understand that uh lou and guys like uh, that he hires are pretty tight to the vest as they can get. But I want to switch over to the Rangers part. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of young, uh, high-octane, uh, promising forwards in um, Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad. You have Kreider, who was supposed to have been traded, but he got the extension. Um, you have Kapokako, who might not play because mm-hmm. uh, I heard – he has a pre-existing condition of diabetes. Is that true? Yes, he's a type 1 diabetic and he has celiac disease as well. So what does this mean for the Rangers going forward um, if he's not able to play? And who do you think would step in his place given the right wing position? 
I think I think that it, it really would just be a, a shift up. Honestly, you know, you could have anybody from Jesper Foss to anyone of they they're very center heavy. Any of the centers could be shifted to the wing as well. Um, I, I don't know if it'll have that big of an effect if Kako can't play um, because obviously it was his only his first season with the team and he he did very well in his in his first season, but not to the extent that people would like to see a number two draft pick do. But obviously, got to give the kid a second to breathe. But um, I don't think it'll be that big of, of an effect if, if Kako can't play. But again, we shall see. I know, I know John Davidson said that he will, he promises to listen to science. And if in any way Kako is at an increased risk by playing, then they're not even going to hesitate and they won't play him. Um, going back to the Islanders goaltending for a second, um, you know, as you said, we really don't know who's going to start. It's, Seems like no matter where Lemreux is, he doesn't tip his hat. Neither does Barry Trotz. But what's your gut tell you who starts game one in the playing round against Florida? Given how the end of the season started to go, I would probably go with Varlamov. For whatever reason, I feel like a majority of the final starts started going to Varlamov and Grice kind of had a couple of, of, of tough games where he was replaced by Varley too. So if I were to guess, I think I would, I would go with Varlamov. Yeah. I think that's the smart play too. And then like a short series, now that we know it's best of five in these qualifying rounds, you got to imagine the Islanders are a little bit of a favorite going into the series, just because of that defensive style that they play and you only need to win three games. So that's got to be a factor going in, especially for a team like Florida, who likes to run and gun all the time. 100%. I think the Islanders, you know, Barrett Trotz does a very, very well job of, of informing his players and doing the scouting report and, and focusing on the things that the teams are going to throw at them. So I think with the Islanders playing style when they're at the top of their game and they're playing that relentless two-way hockey that, you know, they could beat anybody. But again, like I said before, you know, they cannot keep going down that that downward spiral that they were when they, when the season went into a pause. Their biggest competition is going to be themselves and, and playing to the stand that they did at the beginning beginning of the season with that 17 game point streak, which was absolutely insane. So they've showed that they're able to do it. It's just a matter of getting back to that style of play. And I think having players that were hurt or they expected never to even see for the rest of the 2019-20 season is going to be really uplifting for them. And I want to go back to talk about how the Rangers are going to face the Carolina Hurricanes and the Hurricanes are, on average, they're about a 26-year-old team on average with uh, the help of Justin Williams being the big key veteran. Um, what do you think of a big veteran like him who's really good in, you know, postseason play, playing round type style, who could be a disruptor of a key player along with Jacob Slavin and Brady Shea, uh, former Ranger, who could, you know, be playing with a chip on his shoulder after the Rangers traded him away. A hundred percent. I think that it's going to be a really great matchup between the Hurricanes and especially because of all the reports coming out that Carolina was one of the teams that really didn't want to go along with what the shaked out tournament was. So I think that will definitely, I mean, you're lying to yourself if you don't think the Rangers players heard that and they're thinking about that coming into this game. So I get, you know, Justin, Justin Williams and, and Slavin, they're, they're Ranger killers. They're, they're, they're always on the ice. I feel like when they play the Rangers and, they're definitely going to be a big 
obstacle for the Rangers to overcome. But I, I think that everything for the Rangers really started to come together as they were heading into the pause. So if they're able to just pick that right back up again, which again is going to be extremely difficult, but if they can and even build upon it, then they're going to be in, in really good shape. And do you think Tony D'Angelo and Ryan Lindgren and the couple of the other young defensemen on that Ranger right-handed core might get a little uh, too excited where it might, you know, make them out of place where they get mismatches versus Carolina and them having Andre Svechnikov coming down the ice. I really wouldn't think so. Um, when I think about the Rangers defensive de- pairings, I really think that Fox and Lindgren are one of the, one of the most unexpectedly effective defensive pairings in the league. I think that they were tremendous this season against any of the top dogs that were thrown against them. You know, Lindgren is just a natural competitor. He's tough. He's edgy. Got into it with with Brad Marchand earlier in the year. You know, like he's not afraid of anything. And same with Fox. You know, he's so poised and and beyond his years on the ice already. I was listening to Tony D'Angelo's podcast and he was so uncomfortable because they kept gassing him up. And he's like, I didn't know you guys thought I was this good, you know, but he really, he definitely impressed a lot of people this year. And I even, I watched him at Harvard when he played against UMass. And I mean, then he was going up against Cal McCarr, obviously. So it was a little bit lopsided and we had a good laugh about that. And Fox and I, so I, I think, I think that the Rangers defensive pairings are, will not, they're not that way. I really don't think it'll be an issue. And like I said, I think Fox and Lindgren are, are just going to grow into themselves more. And if they keep them on the same defensive pairing, there's, there's no telling where that can go. Speaking of something that's up in the air right now, it's the Rangers goaltending. I mean, mm-hmm. the Rangers were three and zero against the hurricanes, but Henrik Lundqvist started, I believe he started every one of those games. Yes, he did. So, it's going to be interesting to see what they do going into the playing round. If, if again, your gut, what does your gut tell you on who's starting against well, the Hurricanes? If I was a betting woman, I would say that Igor Shevchurkin will be in net um, for the start of the Hurricane series. And no disrespect to Hank or or Georgiev at all. It's just it was just a matter of of how Igor was playing toward the end there as as they went into the into the into the halt of play and and how I was looking at the stats the other day and Lundqvist the last month and a half of play only saw two starts and one of which he was taken out after allowing four goals on fifteen shots. So, you know, Henrik is obviously he's franchise goaltender, been there for years, all the respect to him. But it's just it was getting to a point where with the three of them being on staff, it was just too it was impossible to give all three the same exact starts and net. And and you just have to think about it logically with where Hank is at in his age and his contract and where Igor and Alex are right now in their careers. And I honestly, from me, I thought that Alex was going to be traded earlier in the beginning of the year because it just looked like, you know, they'd never get rid of Hank and that they were prepping Igor to come up. But Georgiev gave them absolutely no reason not to keep him as the number two goalie. And he really earned that spot. So unfortunately, I think it'll shake out that Igor will probably be the guy that they give the nod to in that first game back. Yeah. And then just staying on the goaltending real quick, you know, you, you have the three guys there. 
what happens in the offseason. Does one of these guys go? Does Hank retire? Do they try to move his contract? Because in my opinion, and, and you can disagree, this is what we do on the show. <laughs> um, I think Alex and Igor are the two guys you need to keep going forward just because they're younger and they've proven they have a proven track record right now. And no disrespect to Hank, he's been there. But it's those guys' time, and I think his time is over. 100%. Logistically speaking, you know, Alex and Igor are the up-and-coming players for this team. And and I think that if there's – I haven't seen much about it since the CBA talks have been going on, but there was this idea of a compliance buyout being thrown around. So I think if that was ever given to the Rangers, I, I just don't think they would have a choice but to use it on Hank because of obviously his hefty contract and, and just where he is at with measuring up to the other three goaltenders. And from what I understand from the traditional buyout like that, it, you'd only be paying one third of the contract, whereas it would be Dolan would be paying one third of the eight million five hundred thousand dollars for the last couple seasons till twenty twenty one. I want to think about um, how the timeline of the Rangers look um, with twenty 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 one. You have Ryan Strom, who's a restricted free agent. You have Jesper Foss as a UFA. Brendan Lemuse, a UFA, I mean, a RFA. Then you have McKegg is a UFA, and DJ Zabby's a RFA. So, um, and the Rangers also have $3.886,585,000 in cap space. Um, do you see the Rangers moving players before the draft in October? Um, it's definitely a possibility. I think that it's hard to say right now because of how the CBA is, is shaking out and we're not 100% sure about the salary cap and such like that. From those players that you mentioned, though, I would say that Ryan Strom is probably a lock. Ryan Strom you know, absolutely came into his own this season and he was a magnificent compliment to Artemi Panarin. It, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. It, you know, I mean, I I had watched Strom beforehand, obviously, and it was like putting Panarin next to him. It just put them both in a whole different league. They had such tremendous chemistry. But to your point, I, I, it's it's hard to say right now because of of the negotiations shaking out. But we'll find out soon enough. And another thing I want to follow up on is uh, what's going on with Vitali Kravtsov and. Leosh Anderson, uh, what is going on with him being on loan? I know Leos Anderson, um, didn't he decide not to come? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he said that. Yeah, yeah he, he's staying in yeah. Sweden, yeah. Yeah, so he neglected to come. Um, you know, from all the different uh, interviews I've read from him, you know, he's a young kid. He had a very tough time adjusting to a foreign country, a new league, a whole different lifestyle and, and different way of playing. And that can be a lot. And and having the expectations of being a number seven draft pick is I can't even imagine how exponential, how how much pressure that much must come with that. And I obviously don't know. I don't know uh, Swedish, but I, <laughs> I um, from the translations that I've read that I would hope are correct. He, you know, was staying up very late at night and and waiting for his friends to come on and, and play video games with him. And he took sleeping pills because of it or something like that. And it just wasn't healthy for him. And and it was just a very, very unfortunate situation for him. So I think 
think he probably made the best decision for himself. It, it was too soon after everything that went on with him leaving the Hartford Wolf Hartford Wolfpack without notifying the team and he was suspended because he did that. So I don't think it would have been in his best interest to come back, especially just given how uncertain everything is and how much more added stress is going to come with this whole moving to hub cities and such like that. So, but I I do know Kravtsov um, skated this week, so he's in the mix. So we'll see. And so you mentioned, you know, younger players, and I want to switch over to the Islanders for a moment. Um, Noah Dobbs has been one of those guys who's been playing on and off with the Islanders uh, because of that, um, what was it, the nine-game rule before you have to send a player back to juniors. Mm-hmm. Um, did Noah Dobson skate or anyone else along that um, Islanders defensive core? Because you have Andy Green, who's a, a 37-year-old veteran. Boy, Chuck's 36. Um, you do have Devon Taves and uh, Scott Mayfield on the younger end, along with Ryan Pulak. So, what is your expectations of uh, Noah Dobson along with Mayfield? I'm not 100% sure what Trotz will want to do because it all is going to be shake, sh- shaken up now because Pellick is back. So I think that inserting, you know, there's it's just a no-brainer that Pellick will be playing. So I think that it'll all come down to camp and, and Trotz and the rest of the Islanders coaching staff will have to do their evaluations of the, of the rest of the defensive players to see where it'll shake out. But I, I would, my 100% assertion is I know Adam Pellick will be playing. <laughs> yeah. I now with the Islanders, you know, they had, you know, other players come up um, from the AHL this year. And do you see any of the younger guys trying to come in as black aces that they'll bring in um, to their hub city when, when they're supposed to report at the end of um, July? I'm not a hundred percent sure how many it's all up in the air, how many players they're going to be able to take. I believe Bob McKenzie reported on it, but it's, it's all going to come down to how many players they're ultimately allowed to bring over to the hub cities. If I were to guess if anybody that would be kind of surprising, but I personally wouldn't be surprised. I would love to see Kiefer Bellows get a chance. I was very, very impressed with him earlier in the season when he was originally called up. And, you know, his dad it was a former player too. And I actually had the opportunity to speak to his dad during his debut. And, you know, you could just tell when a player grows up with a dad that played in the league, they're just cut from a different cloth. And I think Kiefer, it would just be a, a fantastic addition to the team in, in for the 2014 tournament and in the future what about a kid like oliver wallstrom how long do you think before we see him permanently with the islanders um i haven't had the opportunity to watch wallstrom as much or talk to the coaching staff about him but i obviously he's in the top tier of prospects that are coming up right now i think he'll definitely get a chance and get some looks at the 2021 um training camp coming up so it's all going to be a matter of of what they see on the ice especially after this weird break that everybody has i feel like it just kind of gives everybody a clean sheet to come on the ice and show what they can do and show what they've been working on while they've had all this time away from the ice. You know, I'm sure there are a ton of players that are, are bulking up that are trying to put on, on uh, muscle and, and work on hone in on their uh, handling skills and things that they probably wouldn't be able to focus in on as much if they were playing as usual. So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how the Islanders training camp shakes out next season. 
And so um, in recent news, the Islanders' new arena is not too far off from um, being completed. Uh, what do you think about that um, being completed? While I have gone to games uh, in Brooklyn and at Barclay where it's not exactly the hockey atmosphere that mm-hmm. most fans think about, but what do you think about the new barn being almost finished for uh, the upcoming season? I think to answer your question, I'm going to quote Barry Trotz. It is not normal to have two home arenas. <laughs> it will never <laughs> be normal. It, it is just an astronomical concept that is kind of a shame that it was pushed upon the Islanders because no other team has to deal with that, something like that, having to shuttle between two cities like that. So I, I really... I think it's just going to be a relief to them to have a singular place to call their home and, a, and, a, and it's on Long Island as well and it's going to be brand new. So there are definitely going to be a lot of factors that play into it. But I just remember asking Barry Trotz about it and him just being like, it's it's about time. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's absurd that, that they – and Brooklyn, again, the Brooklyn Center is just not equipped, not built to be a hockey rink. And that's, you know, that's fine. It was It was just something they had to do while while the Coliseum was being renovated and and I, I've covered a number of games at the Coliseum and it's going to be the end of an era there you know obviously the atmosphere there is is second to none so I think they're just going to look to bring that atmosphere and the memories that they've had at the Coliseum to, to Belmont and it's just going to be such a relief to them not to have to worry about shuttling between two different stadiums and and for me personally having to go to morning skate on long island and then drive all the way to brooklyn two hours later <laughs> to cover the actual game so <laughs> from my own point of view <laughs> that's no. a lot of gas mileage yeah that's definitely a lot of gas mileage i mean you could clearly see last year during the playoffs that you know the islanders just lost they lost something um when they had a move from Nassau to, to Barclays Center after the first round, it, it just they just lost some that atmosphere in Nassau Coliseum is something special, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that it's just going to be such a relief to them not have to worry about going between two different stadiums or worrying about if they make the playoffs where they'll be playing. You know, that that's just crazy that there was a, a big question mark over that. You know, it's just not normal. So it's just they're going to be normal like the rest of the league <laughs> about about time about time they're normal i mean look i've been to nassau coliseum i was at the first game at barclays center i was never a fan of barclays center um but coliseum got special memories for me uh, a lot of my friends are islanders fans out on long island so i've been there skated there a couple times so that's always fun but um you know i just think they're one of the teams to me that you have to watch going into the this 2014 playoff because that defensive system with Barry Trotz, what he did with Washington, what he did last year. Like, last year, no one expected the Islanders to be, you know, anywhere. Same with, like, Columbus this year. No one expected them to be in the mix. But here we are. Columbus is there. Islanders are there. And I just think the Islanders are a dangerous team. But that's just my opinion. 
Definitely. I think I think Barry's a world-class coach. I think he has such a concrete vision of what he expects and such a concrete expectations of what he sees in, in each of his players. So, I mean, going from, from Washington, you know, he, he won a Stanley Cup and, and walked out the door. <laughs> what other coach, you know, like it's just – it's very Barry Trot. So, I, I like I said, I think he knows the, the – the, um, level that his players can reach and the level that his team has reached in the 2019-20 season in particular. So his expectations are going to be nothing short of the same type of play they were they were showing in that 17-game point streak. So if I had to give you a couple fun ideas, um, <laughs> okay, one of them is during a playoff atmosphere, where would you rather be? The Islanders game or at the Rangers game who who is the more fun atmosphere oh, oh that you know I just I'm just gonna hope that my mom doesn't listen to this and I'm gonna say <laughs> the Islanders just because that I really had the opportunity the last two months or so to cover the team as if I were a beat reporter which I was so thankful that my editors let me do that um, I was starting to cover practices and such which the New York Post doesn't really do we only focus more on the Rangers, but obviously the Islanders are, have just as many storylines and, and are just as interesting of a team. So I, I felt like I really was starting to get a taste of the beat writer life when I was covering the Islanders. So if I had to choose, I would have to say I want to go with all my Islander beat writer friends and I'd like to be on that side. <laughs> I believe it's the Daniel Bryan yes chant, and I think Jim can answer that because he loves his wrestling stuff. And that's usually for wrestling Wednesdays with, with lefty. So I'll let that go for another day. Um, if you had to have a hot, I have team... that T-shirt, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Molly, if you had to start your own franchise, Ooh. you had to choose between Mika Zabanajad and Matthew Barzell. Ooh. Who are you gonna take, and why? I mean, there would there there would have to be. I would have to know the surrounding factors. You know, they're both very different players and in very different stage of the stages of their career. I guess if we're talking about a brand new spanking team, I, I you know, thinking about it, I think I'd have to go with Barzell just because he's younger and he has. Um, much uh, a larger upward trajectory I guess you could say whereas Mika is actually in the middle of the prime of his career so I think in that sense maybe I would go with Barzell but if I had a, a surplus of of young talent coming in that I would go with Mika because again he's prime of his career and and he's definitely a leader a lot of, I know a lot of Rangers fans are waiting for the C to be given to him so <laughs> I I it would it would have to depend I'd, I'd have to see the surrounding uh arsenal but they both have good cases for them for them and it seems that the Rangers and the Islanders both fall in love with the Ottawa Senators like Derek Rassard <laughs> uh Zabanajad, you know JG Pajot yep. and it just seems like the like over the years that the Sanders become like a farm system to those two teams. Um, what do you think about um, JG Pajot's game when they traded for him uh, before the deadline? I mean, Pajot just made the depth to their front lines just so much deeper. It was it was monumental when he came in, and and I really tip my cap to him. He was so dialed in 
to making himself a part of the Islanders and and inserting himself in the middle of the team and, and proving to them that he was there for them to play for them. And I think getting that contract extension also really solidified that the team had faith in him. The organization had a faith in him. And, and every time I talked to him about it, you know, he said all he wanted to do was prove that he was worth that contract to prove that he was worth the fact that they came out and got him, you know, like they really pursued him. So I think he was very flattered by that and, and, and humbled by that as well. So I think that's just a class act type of response from a player. And, and he fit in so nicely there. And I remember his first game, he dropped the gloves because someone got absolutely, I think Truba just wrecked someone and he went after Truba and it was like JG's like five, nine and Truba's like six, two. So, <laughs> and he had no problem threw his gloves on the ice and went right after him. And afterward he said that he just wanted to prove that he's here to fight for this team and, and that he wants to be a part of it. So I think he has such the right attitude of, of how he's approaching his new career with the Islanders. And, and th- I think there are endless possibilities. So speaking of, you know, we got to switch over to the Rangers again uh, and talk about Artemi Panarin and the season he's having. I got to imagine he's going to be one of the finalists for the Hart Trophy, don't you? I do. I do. Strictly speaking, because it's just about how a singular player affects the rest of his team. And there's just no question how much better the Rangers are when he's on the ice. He makes everybody around him better he is just a, he's a generational talent and and i mean if you can look at a player that signed a contract like that and say it was inexpensive <laughs> then i think it did something right i think it was worth every penny he came in and he did exa- he did above and beyond what i think anybody expected him to do and i think he helped make the rangers into what they were, which was so much more than anybody would have expected this season. Do you think he wins it? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> no, I, I'm not a betting woman. I'm not going to put my <laughs> my eggs in that basket, but he definitely should be considered, no doubt about it. Well, it's funny just to stay on Panarin because um, a couple of guys, the, the, I got um, hooked up with them. Um, couple of sites um gambling sites and it's funny his name is uh on there to lead uh the qualifying round at a at a nice number and i was like oh well i might throw a couple bucks on mr panarin because of what he did in the regular season i mean there's that there that would probably be your safest bet right exactly outside of mcdavid and dry obviously (laughs) but um yeah no it's gonna be interesting considering that you know, I don't know what your take is on it, but I feel like the playing round isn't um, the Stanley Cup playoffs yet. But yet we see today and yesterday that the stats in the qualifying yeah. round are going to count towards the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, I think it's I think it's valid. I think I think that um, given just how strange and unusual the whole format and tournament is by itself, that something like that isn't exactly strange and and should it should be considered considering it's it's kind of like an expanded playoffs, I guess you could say. So if you're putting the term playoff over the, as an umbrella over the entire <laughs> tournament, then it's only fair to include those stats in in, in the qualifying rounds. So I want to bring up a UMass theme because you <laughs> oh, I'm so are excited. an alum. I have to play this tune for you. 
and I got to talk some UMass alum. <laughs> and so after the, this finishes up a little bit. Oh, I hear so it. I want to get in. There's some awesome UMass Amherst alum on this website. Uh, Justin Braun of the Sharks, Matt Irwin. Uh, you have Brad Montour, Jonathan Quick, yep. uh, Connor Sheary, uh, my East Long Meadow, Massachusetts hometown boy, and Frank Petrano. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have uh, Kale McCarr. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to throw it out there. Mario Ferraro. Um, no disrespect. If, <laughs> and, the, and, and if you had to choose three of those alums, Oof. who would you want to be on your UMass alum NHL team? Well, hands down, Cal McCarr is number one. Um, I, I mean, anybody that knows me personally knows how emotionally invested I was in his career going through UMass. I, I had the opportunity to cover him his last two years, his first two years at UMass, um, and then watching him go from I, – I was in Buffalo for the Frozen Four and and watching him basically get on a plane that night and, and head out to Colorado um, to start competing with them in the, in the Stanley Cup in the playoffs um, was just – I mean, you couldn't have written it any better for him. So, and then scoring on his first goal, I I, I will not say if I cried or not, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we're all human. We can be emotional. And, and honestly, it's a, such a relief to be to be a graduate from UMass now because anybody can call me a homer as much as you want. I don't care. I embrace <laughs> it with all my heart. He's a generational player and hands down, Kale McCarr, I want on my team. I've always had such a special place in my heart for Jonathan Quick, having just been at UMass and and walking down the halls every day of that hockey facility and seeing the pictures of him on the wall and and just hearing stories about about him as a player as UMass, at UMass too. And, you know, you want to obviously have a good goaltender on your team. So it was also very cool for me to get to cover him this season because I had always wanted to cover him while he was at UMass. So getting to cover him in the NHL was not as bad. Um, also quite an experience. Uh, and and then I guess for my third, I would have to either have to go with maybe Connor Sheary or, like I said, Mario Ferraro. I mean, he's he's with the Sharks now, and and it's, it, it was his first season, and and he, you know, he's not a type of player that lights up the stat sheet or or is going to win any awards, but he's a glue guy and he is a locker room guy and he's just a great person all around, very authentic, very real, and just a great person to have on your team. Just a hard worker too. I, I, I know Greg Carville said he's never seen a work ethic like he has seen in Mario Ferraro. And for someone like Greg Carville, that's, that's a very hefty compliment. So I, I would probably have to say those four are, are, are my top choices, but Put give give yeah. Kyle McCarr the C, give him the A. I want him on the run <laughs> Like that's just how I feel about the situation. <laughs> hey, you know what, <laughs> Kyle McCarr, great player. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, playing with Colorado, one of my buddies, big Colorado guy, and he's like, he asked me about this Kyle McCarr kid coming in. I said, dude, you got a stud on your hands. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be you're going to be set for life. And then when, and then when he comes in and just scores right away, I was like, yep. First shot. I know what, first shot <laughs> in yes. the net. I was like, yep. Okay. <laughs> and speaking of Mr. McCarr uh, and the Calder trophy, mm-hmm. he's got some competition this year with Quinn Hughes. Quinn both Hughes, guys, Jack Hughes' brother. Both <laughs> guys playing really well. But my guess is if you had a vote, 
it's going to Kale McCarr. I agree. And I, I've I've obviously been very invested in, in that race as well, as you can imagine. So I've I've looked at a lot of uh articles uh talking to executives and and team coaches that are anonymous asking for their opinion you know uh Hughes or McCarr and and as neck and neck as they are they're both tremendous players the one thing that I kept seeing was that each person in the in the league would say Kale just has that special something you know that just that's just something that you don't see in every player. So I think that that alone is probably going to carry him to the Calder Trophy. From what I was listening with Spittin' Chicklets and uh, Grinelli is the producer of that podcast. And he talks about how, you know, he the way he just jumps out there is just like, he's like a man child, like an ape <laughs> on the ice. Like he makes things look so natural, like beast mode 24 seven. He's mm-hmm. on the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to put out um, a recruitment, uh, like a verbal recruitment on why someone should have their son or daughter apply to UMass for (laughs) hockey or any sport on here. Um, Because, you know, this is, well, you know, summer and this is usually when, you know, school kids usually have to get ready to go back to school. Um, What would you tell them about UMass hockey and the traditions that you have dealt with in becoming a writer. I mean, I I had such a unique experience at UMass, especially where hockey was concerned. When I first started at UMass as a freshman, the hockey team won five games. So going from that year to my sophomore year when when, uh, uh, Greg Carville came in, he, right off the bat, it was the largest turnaround in in college hockey history. <laughs> you know, in from wins uh, losses to wins. So, I, it, as soon as you put someone like Greg Carville at the helm, it was it was a no brainer. And and he came in and he gutted the team. When I tell you he gutted the team. <laughs> There were literally four or five players that remained that's, that were able to stick around. He got rid of everybody else. And it was a very party culture, very uh, just not dialed into hockey, but Greg would absolutely not have that. So he came in, gutted the team, recruited Kale McCarr, recruited Mario Ferraro, whole new group of young players that they were one of the youngest teams in the entire league and then to come in in Greg's third year and to make it to the frozen four and and to beat teams like Ohio State and and to get to face Minnesota Duluth you know it was just a miracle on ice type story it was you nobody expected some some team like UMass to make the frozen four first time in in uh, program history so I mean this the culture that Greg has established there and and that the assistant coaches have have implemented there is is unlike it's unrecognizable compared to when I first came to um, UMass so I, I mean, they and I know that Kale McCarr's younger brother actually committed to UMass as well. So that just goes to show that Kale's family evidently were very pleased with his development at UMass enough to send their second child there. So that's a sort of a validation you'd like <laughs> to see. Um, but I, I mean, I, I loved my time at UMass. The people there are great from the academics to the athletic department. They just they make everything work, really. I mean, I always say that UMass 
I should cut me a check for how many people I sent to their admissions office. <laughs> <laughs> I am UMass's biggest fan. So I, I think that the UMass hockey program, they, they're, they're now on the map, you know, and that's, that's really all that you can ask for. And it sounds like the growth of college hockey in a, in a place where hockey really wasn't looked at as serious. Um, it seems like, you know, guys like Tommy Fitzgerald are beginning to scout those places that are becoming more sought after, yep. especially with uh, programs like uh, Providence University. Um, what do you think of how the growth of college hockey has really helped the future of the NHL draft, especially with the Islanders and Rangers uh, looking at players from there as well as the Devils? Uh, I definitely, I think the NHL, one of my favorite things about the NHL is just how many different paths you can take to get to the NHL. You do juniors, USHL, you know, any type, there are so many different leagues and, and college hockey is definitely something that I think wasn't a normal route a while ago. Um, and then steadily it started to be getting, gaining more traction and becoming more of a normal route for college hockey for hockey players to take in general. I think it also just pairs with the fact that they're able to get an education and, and, and that is a great thing that, that if it works for a player that they can pursue that as well on top of uh, furthering their hockey career. And I just, I know, you know, Zach Jones is a Rangers prospect. He's with UMass. And, and I know uh, Greg Carville told me that, um, after he competed in the world juniors, you know, the Rangers sent along a personal note to Greg thanking him and thanking him for what he's done with Zach Jones already in his first year. So I think that there are a lot of very capable coaches in college hockey, coaches that have been there for years too. So I think it's a really great developmental stage that if, if a player can handle it, that, that they should do that. And Adam Fox mm -hmm. uh, played with Riley Walsh mm -hmm. at Harvard University. What was it about Fox and Riley Walsh that you saw when they would play against UMass for Harvard? I really only remember the one game that I watched my senior year. It was hard. I think it was toward the end of the season. It was it was a big game because it was it was Fox versus versus McCarr. Um, I believe UMass won, I think, three to nothing. I think it was a very lopsided game. And so I don't think it was a very accurate representation of how someone like uh, Fox would measure up to Makar. But, I mean, after watching Fox this year, you know, he he's a – very poised with the puck, very wise behind beyond his years, you know, just acts like a veteran on the ice when he's only in his first season, which I think is a trait that's very hard to come by. And, and like I said, they were gassing him up on the podcast the other day. He doesn't even know he's as good as he is. Um, and I know that he, I've on Twitter, he's been doing a lot of um, ALS uh, fundraising and stuff. And he's just, he's just a great addition to the community. Obviously, you know, when you're Harvard educated, it's kind of hard <laughs> not to miss the mark in New York. So um, I think, I think he, he's a great, great addition. Yeah. I mean, you know, college hockey is just picking up uh, everywhere. Like I had a buddy of mine uh, go to UMass, uh, work um, with the hockey team closely. So he got me a shirt. So I, I got, you know, closet UMass guy. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, speaking of, it's funny, I had a funny story real quick. It just came into he my head when you were mentioning Jonathan Quick. When I was in Vermont uh, for an MS tournament that I play in every year, we I was hanging out with, you know, my teammates were at the pool at one of the hotels and, and I peek out of the corner of my eye 
and I said to the guy next to me, I said, is that Jonathan Quick? <laughs> and he's like, what's He's like, Jonathan Quick? He's like, what's he doing in Burlington, Vermont? So we end up going over there. We end up going over there chatting. He's like, yeah, here I'm having my brother, my brother's um, bachelor party. I'm like in Burlington, Vermont. I'm like, yeah, I just don't want to be recognized. It's like, oh, that stinks. We got a <laughs> hockey tournament around. There's so many guys that are going to recognize you now. Oh, <laughs> you've probably like. He was probably like, damn. <laughs> no, he was actually cool about it because, like, we just chatted. We actually weren't even talking hockey. We were just chatting, like, about everything. But he was such a nice guy. Um, and then, you know, obviously we had to go, you know, to bed and play our game the next day. But he was such, actually just a nice guy, just courteous enough to just take the time and speak to us. So, I mean, you just see it, like, through and through. Like, all these guys just are down-to-earth, humble guys that know where they come from. And you just got to respect that about hockey players. Mm-hmm, for sure. And it just seems like the culture is just beginning to really improve. Like Penn State hockey's really grown. Like they have New Jersey Devil, uh, Arnett Talvitia, the Finn uh, at Penn State. And Arizona State has grown their program. And uh, Cole Brady's their goaltender uh, going in. And uh, Eddie Lack was their uh, goalie coach for a little bit before becoming a real estate agent. Uh, what do you think about the future of the Islanders going forward um, with the youth movement? I mean, to, to keep on the college hockey route, I think, you know, if you have prospects that are in the college hockey realm, it's just, it's so much easier of a, of a transition, I would say, considering how their schedules are mapped out. You know, it's a little different, but it's it's the same type of, you know, game after game that they do three game series, two game series. It's like three games a week. So it's, it's a very competitive, very high scale type of environment. And, and it's a, it's a obviously much shorter than the NHL season if you don't go far in the playoffs, but it's just a very competitive ground that is, I can, I, I would imagine is, is a much easier transition into the NHL, if that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely makes sense for sure. <laughs> it definitely does make sense. Um, real quick, you know, with, you know, what's going on in the world that we live in, you know, with the COVID and everything. And, you know, we, we see that the Ivy League is canceling um, all four fall sports and having, you know, Harvard has online classes. Do you think we'll see a college hockey season this year? Unfortunately, I'm a very big Debbie Downer when it comes to this whole thing. If I'm being honest with you, I don't even see the NHL getting to the hub cities. I think it would be amazing if they do and if they're able to, if they're able to contain virus cases in the league and such. But with what we've seen the last couple of weeks, just in general, uh, as they've been finalizing all these things for the for the hub cities, is there's just more positive tests coming every day. And, and one team shutting down their facility and then another team shutting it down the next. And this team couldn't get on the ice because they're waiting for their results. You know, it's just... It's, it's very disrupted right now, and, and I would just be very surprised if it actually all came to fruition. Unfortunately, I hate to be a Debbie Downer because I really don't want to be, but I just seeing looking at it logistically, it's just, it's just a very, very sticky situation. And I think with colleges in particular, you know, it's, it's going to be so difficult because they're allowing each individual state and each which would mean each individual campus and school is allowed to dictate how they're running their classes, how they're running, you know, everything. 
and you know, how do you put together a season if if half you know your conference is is not competing or not having a classes in session in person, and the the players aren't even going to be on campus? So, I, it's just all very up in the air right now, and I, I'm very anxious to see how they are able to map all these things out. Um, but I just, it's very hard to see it all coming to fruition, unfortunately. So I'm looking at the, in case you missed it, top 10 Rangers prospects. Uh, we talked about Shesterkin. We talked about Kravtsov. Um, you mentioned Zach Jones. Uh, Nils Lundqvist, uh, Keandre Miller, and Julian Gauthier. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about those guys' uh, potential futures uh, going forward with the Rangers or – uh, do they need a little bit longer to season before jumping on the blue line and the forward groups? Um, I definitely think of all those players that you mentioned, I would say look out for Keandre Miller the most. I think if I had to guess, he would be one of the first. He'll definitely have a lot of eyes on him this upcoming training camp for sure, just because of you know, all I've read about him is his build. He is a massive man. He is like a six foot three, you know, probably six five with skates, then that means. And he's just a very toned, you know, strong defenseman. So I'm very excited to see his upward mobility. Um, as for players like Zach Jones, I think he'll do a very well with another year underneath his belt, maybe even two. Um, he's a little undersized and, and, you know, I think he still has a, a ways to go with his um, skill set. Um, but they have a very decent prospect pool right now. And, and I think they're just starting to skim the surface with Shesterkin coming up and, and Kravtsov now coming into the conversation. So I, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about what they have. Um, whether or not they'll make more moves to, you know, increasingly increase the depth of, of this pool um, is yet to be seen. I don't think it could hurt, but they definitely do have a very nicely sized pool right now to choose from and to evaluate this upcoming, the next upcoming train, train training camp, not this one. <laughs> well, what do you think of Matthew Robertson, Morgan Baron, and mm-hmm. Carl Henriksson and uh, Laurie Payuniemi. I will say for Morgan Barron, um, I spoke to him uh, right around when everything paused because I was very curious to see um, if he would want to continue at Cornell for his senior season after having his junior season cut short. And I don't know if you know, but Cornell was doing very well heading into the heading into um, the frozen four and such. And they were very optimistic of their chances. And he was heartbroken that that was ripped underneath them. And I, how could you blame him? You know, he, he explicitly said to me that he wanted to come to Cornell to win a national championship in college hockey. And, and I think that's going to be a huge thing in the back of his mind while he's considering what he what his next move is and again I think this Ivy League situation and what they're going to do with college hockey will play a big part in that it won't maybe not won't even be up to him if he wants to play in college hockey again you know he might not have a choice but to but to go pro um but I think Morgan is is has a also has a very upward trajectory and and he had a very good head on his shoulders when I spoke to him about his current situation which is all you can ask from a college kid you know (laughs) so um, I'm very excited to see um, where he goes yeah it'll be interesting to see for sure because you know with you know it'll be interesting to actually watch like the whole NCAA as a whole because the eligibility do they let these guys you know play out 
years or are they going to let are they going to are players just going to leave or sit out or mm-hmm. it's it's just so it's we're such at a weird time um in society and you know with the virus and everything so i hope for me i hope he gets a shot to win a national title but if not you know going pro isn't a bad thing either <laughs> no definitely not and what are your uh, expectations of the college uh, hockey players from this year's draft? Like, for instance, Dylan Holloway's with uh, Wisconsin. Um, what do you think about guys like him um, trying to make a name for those big schools that are usually like big brand names? I think it's all great in the name of college hockey. You know, like I think that it, the more like – uh, top draft picks that that des- that decide to stay at school or decide to or commit to, co- to a college before they're even drafted. You know that in particular, when when you commit before you're even drafted, that's plaster all over the screen. You know, so I, I think it's it's a it's a very good v- good gig for college hockey in general and and the NCAA just growing the name of college hockey and and what it has to offer and and how many players have gone that route and been successful in their NHL careers and were able to get their degrees and and have a college experience too which i think was very interesting um i think it's important for players and young young men to have that opportunity to to be a kid and to and to have fun for a little bit before they dedicate the rest of their lives to a sport yeah and it, also um there's a kid in uh Jake Sanderson who his father was in the NHL big presence um back in his days um jake sanderson by a few scouts was mentioned to go in the top three but he could go in the top 10 um what do you think about a kid like him going to university of north dakota as a left-handed defenseman learning to become a more two-way mobile defenseman um i if i'm being honest i don't i don't know that much about the other um prospects in the nhl but um i think i think it's all it's all you know it's all good. It's all, it's all good for these players and, and, you know, getting to go to, to schools and make a name for themselves. I think it also is a confidence thing. It's, you know, I can't imagine what it did for Kale to literally put UMass on the map, you know, to literally be responsible for leading a team to a place that it's never gone before. So just being, uh, you know, an NHL draft pick in general, there's a lot of notoriety that comes with that nowadays. So going to a smaller school like North Dakota is just, it's, it's, it's just good for college hockey. So little interesting note while I was, you know, while we were giving answers here, Bob McKenzie tweeted out that with all these players like uh, Sorokin, as we spoke with before, while they may not be able eligible to play in the 1920 return to play phase four, they may, if everything is ratified, get to participate in training camp. So that'll be interesting to see if that happens, especially for a guy like Sorokin. Do the Islanders say, hey, come on over, even though you're not going to play, we're going to give you some experience uh, taking shots. Yeah, I mean, if that was the case and and Sorokin was able to get his feet wet and and come over and and just – just to meet the guys and and meet the coaching staff and just, you know, show a little bit of what you can do. I think it's any player would be willing to take that sort of opportunity. So, I mean, if that's the case, then I would, I would bet that Sorokin would come. Um, So we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And 
also, we can't forget the Vancouver Canucks have uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers Brock Besser. And there is Quentin Hughes, another former college hockey player, going into this playing round. And it just seems, you know, with all the talk we talk about uh, these former college hockey players, um, it seems to be a great recruiting tool. Um, what do you think about those other teams uh, as they play in their respective playing rounds? Do you think uh, for like the Canucks, they can beat the Minnesota wild? Um, I think that, I think that both those teams measure up very well. And I think that it'll be a really good experience for like the, the players that are, you know, coming into the league for the first time and, and experience, this is a whole new experience for anybody. So, I mean, I think it'll definitely take an, take a second for everybody to kind of just take a breath and just figure out like the, it's a whole new norm, a whole new schedule with the testing and such. I mean, it's just so hard for me to see, to see it actually coming to fruition. It really is. <laughs> if I'm being honest with you. It really, it really is hard for even, for even me to imagine it. Usually NHL.com does like a uh, like a playoff bracket. And if there was a bracket, um, who would you uh, be choosing as your winners? Oh, sorry. Say that again for like the um, qualifying round or. Yeah, for the play in round plus the uh, all the way to the Stanley Cup, like a like a playoff bracket that they do for Frozen Four. Yeah. Uh, who who would be in like your bracket? Like, for instance, you know, the Rangers playing against Carolina, at, you know, et cetera, you know, move a step forward. You're going to ask me to say the entire bracket. Who's, who's going to advance? Give it, I, I would say, give us, give us your conference finalists. Okay. I okay. would say <sighs> final four. Oh gosh. Putting me on the spot like this. I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to invoke the fifth. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to plead the fifth. I, I, uh, I think I've, I've given enough about how I think the Islanders and Rangers will match up. I don't, I don't think it would be respectful to, to say again, like, it's just, it's so hard to say who is going to be able to, okay. One thing I will say, that Scott Mayfield said on an Islanders conference call a while ago is that he felt like this tournament was going to be a quote unquote test of minds, which I believe because it'll be a test of who can block out all the distractions because it's, it's, there are so many different intangible things that players are going to be working through that. I, I just don't even think it's fair to sit here and make an assumption because we're not even sure what it's going to, what the conditions are going to be like when they get there, you know, who knows what different teams are going to be dealing with at the time and what kind of distractions are going to come into play. So I really, I'm going to go with Scott Mayfield's uh, his quote <laughs> and say, it'll be a test of minds to see who emerges into the conference final. There you go. Final answer. There, I, you know what? That's fair because, you know, people ask me to give predictions on stuff. And I said, you know what? I predicted the 2015 Stanley Cup playoffs right. I said, I'm never doing another prediction again. So, <laughs> um, uh, but it's funny because I always hear like guys are talking about how this, like, you know, it takes 16 wins to win a Stanley Cup. It's, it's the most difficult trophy, you know, to win. Well, this year, if it does happen, it will definitely be the most difficult trophy and championship to win. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> 19 games through a qualifying round and plus qualifying. Well, and, you know, say this is successful. 
because we've had a couple other guests come on and talk about this. Say it's it is successful. Do you see them expanding the playoffs to maybe adding a couple of more teams uh, going forward? Doing it in the future? Yeah, doing it in the future. Probably not. Honestly, after this whole shebang, I can't even imagine. It, on top of it all falling on the same time that they're ratifying the CBA, I just think it's they, they've been going through so much the last three months that once it's all done, they're actually actually going to be like, nobody touch anything. Nobody right. move. We're going back to the way that it was. You know, we're just going to pick up like as if, you know, it's just delayed 2020-21 season, you know? So I, yeah. I really can't It could have easily been a cash grab. Yeah, I can't. I really don't see them after, especially because they're going to agree. I feel like that's something that they would have to figure out now, right, in this CBA agreement. So I feel like that's just – I just don't see that happening. I think yeah. they're going to want to go back to normal if possible. Yeah, I mean, they've always hinted at it. Like Pierre LeBron always said, oh, yeah, it's going to come. They're going to do it. I just think 16 teams, it makes sense. You got enough teams in it already. Yeah, it's more this competitive. Is an, it's, it, this is an outlier, and I don't care what anybody says. The reason they did it is for the Rangers, Canadians, and Blackhawks. <laughs> anybody can tell me any differently. I don't believe them. Because if it was the Devils, Sabres, and name another team, it's 16 teams or it's 20 teams. That's it. Um, well, so sorry you feel that way. Because I, I, yeah. actually, I actually really thought that this format was really smart. I really did like how they gave the top four teams, each conference, the buy-in, you know, then the five-game play-in series. I think it was very well thought out. I will give them that. I, I will give them credit for, like, doing it. But I kind of feel bad for the – well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I can kind of feel bad for the Bruins because they were the best team in the Eastern Conference pretty much the whole year. Yeah. And they are got to be thrown into this round-robin seeding thing. Yeah. But, but anyway, but how, you know, to have, like, the CBA and the return-to-play format and, and have a new CBA, how – how nice is it to have labor peace in the National Hockey League finally? Yes, I definitely think that that was something that was looming. And and even the other day when uh, Artemi Panarin released that statement about how he wasn't sure if he thinks that the players should report to training camp before the CBA is 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 ratified and, and finalized, you know, I don't blame him. You know, I, I really don't. You know, it's we saw it with Major League Baseball. You know, it's a very cunning, very biting just negotiation process and and it's not always done in good faith which you know that's once it gets to that kind of point you, you just you 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 needed to tread lightly <laughs> you just you really it's you don't want to you don't want to piss off your product is, is what I, <laughs> yeah. how i look at I, it <laughs> like uh, one of the things i read about uh artemi panarin's statement was about how he was upset about the escrow mm-hmm. and uh, Corey Schneider on the devil side uh, spoke on his part said you're not going to be able to abolish it but you have to moderate it to an extent and they seem to have found a formula yes. where they could cut it down after 20% yeah. and get it down to 18 eventually 10% mm-hmm. if I remember the correct percentages and then it gets owed a little bit later towards the last few years of the CBA if I recall correctly Yes, yes. I believe it. it's going to roll over too, is something like that. So I think I just I, I think it's it was an important thing that they needed to, to rectify and that they needed to acknowledge, because obviously when you see some player like Artemi Panarin making that kind of statement, it, it holds weight. So I, I think that 
someone like him speaking out, a lot of players started to pay attention and, and were, you know, I'm sure during those uh, NHLPA calls and such, I know Ryan Strom talked about a two hour call he was on the other day, like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I can't even imagine what those calls must be like. So I think that they all were on the same page, which is a good thing um, because in, in Major League Baseball, it just felt like it was everybody was all over the place I was just worried that it was gonna get to that it could get to a point like Major League Baseball did but I'm happy that it seems to be going um on a on a normal schedule yeah me too I mean considering that they had you know considering before like the COVID break and the suspension of play they were working together which is really good considering who is the head of the Players Association and his track record with, (laughs) with Major League Baseball um, and I'm still, I'm on, on, on the side of, I don't even, even with these summer camps going on for baseball, I just don't see it happening <laughs> just because with everything going on between the players and the, and the, and the uh, owners there, I just don't think it's going to happen, but I, you know, they can prove me wrong on that one. But I, I have this feeling just the way everything's been done with hockey and the way they've had so much harmony that I think they're the one sport that can pull this off and get it there. I but that's just me. No, I agree. I definitely think so. I also think each athlete is is cut from a different cloth. And, and also the money is so much different in baseball than it is in hockey or, or the NFL than it is in hockey. And it's just like a whole different playing field. So I think, you know, the, the NHL and the NHLPA are a little bit more down to earth if I had to, yeah. you know, right, like the numbers that they're dealing with are just not as astronomical as the other leagues. So I think that it's it's just a much more calmer negotiation and, you know, the MLB and the players going back and forth about the amount of games that they're playing and such, you know, it's just all little finicky, you know, details that they're going back and forth with each other about. And it got to a point where it was bad faith like I think that was the one phrase that I kept seeing in all of our baseball columns and and articles is that it just got to a point where everything was being done in bad faith and that would have been worst case scenario if it carried over to the NHL like that and so um we all think about you know players getting players getting paid big time and um Matthew Barzell is a restricted free agent um what do you think he will fetch for term and uh, money, uh, given the fact of where we are in the world? Well, with given how we, where we are in the world and, and with how the new CBA will affect contracts and stuff, I, I am not confident enough to put a number on anything, but I would be surprised if if they gave Barzell anything less than three years, four years, you know, like he, he's so young. He, you know, he's, he's, how do I say this? He's, he's, he's definitely made his worth known, you know, when he's on, he's on. And I think that he's very valued in the locker room as well. You know, I remember in the beginning of quarantine when I was I was calling each of the individual players and asking them fun quarantine jokes. I asked them, you know, who was who would the person be that they don't want to quarantine with the most? And and Barzell was almost unanimously said the entire <laughs> by each player, which I thought was hysterical that, you know, he's just that jokester and, you know, he's kind of one of the young guys on the team. Even when he has players like Noah Dobson below him, he's still 
you know, considered one of the youngins and so full of life and, and just passion for the game and such. So um, I think that Barry Trotz has done a really good job about of uh, honing him down, I guess I, I should say. Um, he's a very big personality. And, and I know uh, Trotz isn't that big of a fan of those kinds of players. So I think Trotz is a very good compliment of a coach to Barzell. And I think Trotz knows the kind of value that Barzell brings to the ice. So I, I would I would definitely anticipate a solid um, contract extension with him. And what do you think of uh, the, the coaching styles difference between uh, Coach Quinn on the Rangers and Barry Trotz? And if you believe, you know, one of them has a better philosophy and strategy, who would you pick that would run that, uh, that special NHL team you would run? I think that they're both cut from different cloth. I think if you're going to – if you want to pick a Stan, Stanley Cup – ready head coach it's by far Barry Trotz for obvious reasons you know Quinn just just made the leap from the from uh, college hockey and he's still used to college hockey circumstances and 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 communicating with college hockey players you know one of the biggest question marks for him was how he was going to handle players like Henrik Lundqvist and and Mark Stahl and the players that have really been around for a long time and how he would connect with them but I think Quinn does have a very good grasp on his team and he he emphasizes a lot about communication and and keeping a pulse on the team um but but Barry is just Barry just knows what he wants you know Barry has a very like strict way that he runs the team and and you can just tell by the way that that they respond to him on the ice and and his presence on the ice that you know how everybody perks up when he speaks but but Quinn is starting to find his voice I think Quinn is starting I know he was starting to really become vocal on the ice and practice and stuff toward the end there and 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 starting to find his way and find his style of coaching as well. But I mean, just because of their circumstances, you know, Barry Trotz is, is the Stanley cup ready coach. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody loved Trotz. I mean, it, you know, it was, it, I mean, I guess it really wasn't a shock to anybody when he came to the Islanders um, because of his track record and then what he did, like you said before, you know, you win a Stanley Cup and then boom, you walk off and you go to another team. It's like a mic. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like a mic drop or, and as, or as, like, as Dan Pasher likes to say, they like to call it walk off. But um, it, same thing. But, you know, it's interesting because like the, both teams have, you know, different matchups. I know like, you know, you don't want to put statistics into anything. But you look at the one hand, the Rangers play the Hurricanes, as I mentioned before, like 3-0 in a regular season. But you kind of have to throw stats out the window when it come, comes to this playing round, right? A hundred percent. I would not. I mean, the only thing that people can argue, I guess, you know, is that Henrik Lundqvist was in goal for those three games. Um, so he's familiar with the team, familiar with, with those games. So I think that's the only thing that anybody could really argue. But I, I, like I was saying before, it's just nobody has experienced the type of circumstances that they're going to be un- under traveling to these hub cities and such. So it, it really is just all going to be about who can 
block out all the noise who can just get back to doing what they were doing, get back to playing hockey and, and not, you know, shaking off the rust and, and just getting through those blunders that they are going to make in the beginning, just because of the adrenaline from coming back. It's all going to be a test of those little things that just, they, they come no matter what with being off the ice and not competing for so long. Definitely. I a hundred percent agree with that. Couldn't just, I could, couldn't agree more. It's just going to be uh, fan- if we get hockey, it's going to be great. <laughs> um, hopefully we do because I think fans are chomping at the bit for something to watch on television and it's going to be a battle of who wants it more and who can survive and block out the noise, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just seems like uh, they mentioned there's going to be like three games a day, like and three different parts of like, I think, well, like four o'clock, eight o'clock, 10 p.m. Uh, for Eastern Standard Time. I was looking at if that's correct. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I think it was. Let's see if I can find it. I think it I think it starts at like 12 Eastern. 12, four and eight. I think I want to say it was. And yeah, 12, four, and eight. Like yeah, 12, four and eight. And then um, because of the time difference between Toronto and Edmonton, it's going to be like staggered. I think it is. It's going to be like an all day marathon, which is phenomenal if it actually happens. <laughs> I mean, I mean, 15 hours of hockey. I mean, that would be I mean, this is this. This is going to be like tournaments all over again. You're just watching like hockey nonstop, yeah. which is fine. I mean, we're I mean, none of us are going anywhere for work anyway. So, I mean. We can just I'm, watch it on TV. So, I'll I'll be back after five thirty. So I'll be I'll, I'll be watching the rest of those ones, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I mean the big thing for me is going to be like what happens when like these games if one of these like early games goes long, like because they're those are the playing round games. If and the and the middle games, I believe, are like the seeding games. Yeah, I mean there are so many things that you think of when you think of this possible 2014 tournament the one thing that i keep the analogy i keep using is like let's say hypothetically the penguins get to the stanley cup finals and the day before the stanley cup finals start Sidney crosby tests positive for the coronavirus are you really going to tell the penguins that they have to take the ice for the stanley cup finals without Sidney crosby you know like how how it's just it's not like if i were the penguins i would say no I would actually be like, no, we'll wait the two weeks until Sydney can come back and then we'll play because it's just unfair. You know, how, how can you actually say that that the Penguins competed in the Stanley Cup finals if Chris Sidney Crosby wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, it's a good analogy because, I mean, as we saw in basketball last year with the Raptors winning, all you heard was, oh, well, you know, the Warriors, they weren't up to snuff while their guys were hurt. Exactly. Well, and that's an irregular yeah, and that's a regular exactly you know and i 100 percent agree with that i mean you got i mean it was interesting to listen to like marcellus wiley like to talk about how like you know you would treat it like a regular injury in a regular season you know guys are out yeah that's a regular season guys are cut differently in the playoffs they want to play regardless of injury mm-hmm. or regardless of anything so to tell a player yeah you got to sit out because you have covid19 you'd be like no. Yeah, and they're like, what if they're asymptomatic? Like, yeah. I mean, what player wouldn't throw a tantrum? Like, what player yeah. would not just be absolutely distraught that this was happening to them? Like, that's another mental thing that, like, I just, 
I feel so I feel so bad for the situation. I really do. And I feel like there are a lot of people in this country and just a lot of hockey fans that are completely disregarding the fact that these are people, that these are people with men with families and 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 people that they care about and and that they're real people that have feelings and subjecting them to this kind of stress and this kind of uncertainty is just it's very unfair in my book so I mean I'm very curious to see how things shake out especially because I remember in the beginning Gary Bettman talked about how much emphasis he was going to put on everything being fair. This was before he even came out with the qualifying round, you know, format and such like that is that he knew how important it was to each team to be treated fairly and to not be put at a disadvantage because of everything that happened. So, and I think he delivered on that part with, you know, with the way that the tournament is structured, it's very fair. Um, But I just think it'll get to a certain point where there are just going to be things that, aren't fair that you can't even avoid yeah agreed it just seems like you know everything's gonna start from square one and it just seems like the way that the playoffs will eventually round out to is each team's gonna you know unfreeze and defrost and start to become more fluid through each round which we hope is the is the result and the way they get back to playing, you know, instead of just the best of five, but a best of seven. Um, It's going to be pretty interesting to see how everything shakes out. Yeah. A hundred percent. So as we, as we wrap here, I want to say, I want to thank Molly for coming on um, and talking some hockey with us today. I know she was really excited, but she, again, she wasn't sure if she could do it with all the breaking news that happened over the uh, last couple of days. Yes, yes, and Lindy's but, presser definitely threw me for a loop today. <laughs> yes, but we appreciate you making the time and your busy, busy schedule to come on Heads of Hockey podcast to talk some pucks, uh, some devils, even though we know you don't cover them as much, but you got to cover the press conference today, talk some Rangers, Islanders, and the rest of the league, especially Cal McCarr, <laughs> UMass boy, especially Cal McCarr uh, and UMass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Blur, blur in the uh, the UMass fight song. Yeah, I was about to say, and I got to relive my my university fight song. So thank you for giving me that. <laughs> You're welcome. You are, you are welcome. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you again for coming on, and we hope you have a great day. And enjoy the rest of your weekend. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye.